Blog Talk Radio. we have here of Suspense Radio. I am your host, John Robb. We are happy to have you however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. It's always great to speak with you, uh, and you can always contact us, of course, at radio at suspensemagazine.com for any questions on any of the guests. If you'd like to talk to any of uh, uh, ask me questions or anything, I can, you know, kind of send those questions out to them. Um, Otherwise, I'm sorry, I'm a little tired. I did watch that entire 18-inning marathon by the Dodgers last night. Uh, for those of you who might not know, of course, I'm a massive Dodger fan, so I was very happy about that. But I might be just a little on the tired side, but our guests today are definitely going to wake me up because we're going to kick it off with author J.J. Hensley, we're going to go to Tasha Alexander, and then we're going to finish it off with Daniela Burnett. So we got a great show for you today, and please remember that all of our Shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on them. So we are going to kick it over here right to our first guest. His latest book is out now. It is called Record Scratch. It just came out um, on October the 22nd, so you can get it however you buy books. It's available now. So we want to welcome JJ to the show. So JJ, thanks so much, my man. How are you doing today? Well, better than you, but I'm, uh, I became yeah. a Pittsburgh Pirates fan over the past 10 years, so I, I don't have to worry about the playoffs very often. True. So uh, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got a full eight hours last night. That's true. You, you know, your wife was probably really smart marrying a Pittsburgh Pirates fan because your season pretty much is over around August, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really, really easy to, to get the season over with. And uh, tickets were, you know, normally you get $9 tickets, um, at least yeah. before they, they, they got good there for, you know, a couple of years. And uh, yeah. now uh, the gear is cheap. Um, you, you don't have to you, – you just kind of wait for football season. So it's uh, – I don't have the Which problems is so that, sad, that you do as a dog. You know, I was in the 70s with Stargell and Parker, to call the all those guys. I mean, it was great freaking – Great, just a great heritage of baseball in Pittsburgh. It's just sad, right? I'm 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 plagued that way because I grew up I grew up uh, a, in Southern West Virginia, and our closest team was actually the Cincinnati Reds. So I grew up right. A, my dad my dad was a big red red machine fan, so I grew up a Reds fan, and then. They kind of they had they had a few you know very good years um, afterwards where they they won the World Series but but yeah, they had some some really bad years too um, and then I was in Bengals territory which we won't even talk about that um, oh, well, and yeah. then then over the years wherever I moved I seemed to just go where I was just with really bad sports teams so so yeah, I, I did. I did get to where I was at least around the Steelers, and they've they the they're always uh, and the and the Penguins just dominate. So, but now I'm uh, now I'm outside uh, Savannah, Georgia, and there's like no professional sports teams here. So now I, I get we have we, there's a minor league sports team here though called the Savannah Bananas, 
they're a minor league right. baseball team, and they are fantastic just because they're the Savannah Bananas. Um, That's cool. And uh, yeah, and they, they, I actually have a Savannah Bananas shirt, and um, so now now I just look forward to their minor league baseball season. Yeah, and those games are always really fun because they always do a lot of weird stuff to keep fans interested in the game because you know they realize that by the baseball is still good and you're, you could be seeing rising stars they they do a lot of weird things like i remember the bill murray team that he would have in st paul where the pig would go out and give the ball to the you know to the pitcher and stuff like that i mean that was that was always funny oh yeah they'll have players wear kilts and do dances yeah. i mean and do, it's 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 like a college summer league so it's like the the players who are normally college baseball players they're off for the summer and they played in this league and and they play it's you know where else can you see the savannah bananas play the macon bacon uh it's, exactly. it's, you just you, it sounds like Food something fight. i would write into one of my novels but it's it's real life and so it's great well let's get into it then let's get into record scratch and uh tell us what you got going on here uh, Record Scratch is the second of a, a series I have going through uh, Down and Out Booked. Um, it's a um, protagonist named Trevor Galloway. He uh, is a former Pittsburgh narcotics detective who's been hired by a woman, a, a sister of a former 80s uh, rock icon named Jimmy Spartan. Uh, the, she hires him to uh, look into her brother's cold, uh, old murder and also to locate a an album, the, his last album that he had recorded onto a, a vinyl uh, record, and it's it's because it's not very good, uh, and she's afraid it's going to ruin his reputation. And uh, she hires him, um, and she's she's not all all there herself, and she basically says, you know, we look into this, and he kind of reluctantly agrees, and uh, then she uh, kills herself. And more out of obligation than anything, uh, Galloway starts looking into the murder and kind of ends up going and diving into a bit of the music business. And all this takes place in Pittsburgh um, and gets in in Galloway's big 80s music fan. uh, So I get to use that. And anybody who's familiar with my work is uh, a lot of the novels I write. I like to structure in different ways. And this one is in uh, 12 different uh, chapters it's 12 different tracks on a vinyl album each one is a song title and the song title actually hints at some of the action that takes place in the chapter so it's uh, 12 different tracks on an album and uh, it's you know paced a certain way and it's it's a fun book it's uh, uh, secret the sequel to bold action remedy which is the first one uh, but it can be read as a standalone i i try to structure write my book so that you can just pick one up and read it and uh, not have to rely on on the last one for necessarily for a huge amount of the backstory. You know, and that's cool the way that you did this book with like the 12 tracks because, you know, a lot of people in today's day and age, especially young kids, I mean, they're just used to hearing singles and this and that. But, you know, when we would drop the needle down on the record, you start from the first song and then you go through to the end and that's a journey. You know, they don't realize that bands take time and how they put, al- you know, songs on albums. I mean, it's it's a it's done in a very specific way to take you on that journey. And by you doing the same thing, you know, you're taking those readers on that journey kind of through that album. 
Right. It was. Uh, it, this was such a fun. I mean, I, I end up having. I, I end up doing a lot of research on on all my books, but um, this one was a fun one to research anyway because uh, you know vinyl has kind of made a, a comeback anyway over the it last has. few yeah. years for whatever reasons, and uh, so I. I I didn't know that much about vinyl other than the fact that my, you know, my parents had a record player growing up and, and, uh, I never had one personally, but so I went and I started doing research and I went to a place called galaxy electronics, which is in uh squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, which, um, as of the time that we're, um, yeah. talking right now, uh, there was a terrible shooting there today. Heavy um, hearts. And, uh, and, uh, but there's a, a place there called Galaxy Electronics, which in the book Record Scratch, I have basically I modeled a place called Planetary Electronics after that location. And I went there and talked to a guy named Vince, and there is a character named Vince in the book as well. And he, Vince gave me a – he's an encyclopedia of information. He gave me so much information about vinyl records and uh, record players versus turntables and the difference between the two and and everything and uh, and of course I ended up buying a uh, buying a turntable and now have uh, my research gets expensive sometimes um, <laughs> and so now now I own vinyl albums and have a turntable and speakers and dude I was and, literally and before so, the show looking at replacing my record player because now they can Bluetooth and the one I got can't Bluetooth oh, yeah, so yeah. now you can play your record. Yeah. And Bluetooth it through a better speaker than what's on those record players now. Unless, of course, you get a massive yeah. setup and you get those four hundred dollar turntables and you're going through a massive system. But I ain't got that. Yeah, I've got my. I don't even use mine. I've got this turntable and I have it hooked up to speakers. And but there's actually a cable. I can actually hook it up to my computer and do something with it. But I, it's amazing. But, yeah. Uh, you can record but, straight uh, from these yeah. freaking record players on USB flash drives now. So whatever you're playing, it'll right. record it onto a USB flash drive. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And of course, yeah. you know, and I've got a I've got a young daughter. She's uh, just turned seven. So to, to it's funny because you know I'm looking at this as like antiquated technology with a turntable, and she's looking at it like, what is this? Wow, this, this is, is amazing. Cool. This is. Yeah, wait, hey, wait till I show you a transistor radio kit. Exactly. Yeah. Wait till I see. Wait till I pull so, the eight track player. Oh yeah, it gets her to put the iPad down to look at this turntable for a second. You yeah, know? this is amazing. Wait till I show you a tape recorder. So exactly. Um, but no, it was a it's a it was a really really fun book to research and to write. Um, and it's a it's a fun journey. And Trevor Galloway is my favorite character that I've ever come up with. Uh, he's he's got some PTSD issues, so he has some hallucinations that pop up from time to time, which um, makes it makes it really interesting for him because sometimes he has has a little trouble he has some some people who really don't like him and uh he has some trouble discerning whether or not the people who are after him are real or not sometimes and it's it's really difficult to protect yourself if you're not sure if the people who are pursuing you are are legitimately able to hurt you or not so it is it, it's just a, a a really fun book and so far the so far, the the critical acclaim's been been really good, and the reader reviews have come in that are coming in are are very good. So, so it's uh, off to a very promising start. So, of course, you know, with book two, it's always kind of like that transitional book because you know you kind of look back in book one and say, all right, I maybe want to try to do something a little bit different in two, or want to do this, or, or want to. How how were those discussions in your head when you decided to kind of 
come out of one and now into record scratch? Was there a conscious effort to change, do something to the characters? Are people going to know, like, hey, you know what, you know, Trevor's a little different from book one to two? Well, give, take us on that journey. Yeah, that's that's something that I really had to tackle is because um, it, without going too deep into it, you know, I think writers have to make a determination if they're going to write a series of any kind, type. Are they going to keep the character static or not? Um, are they going to keep them, you know, if they make the assumption that they're going to write five, six, ten, twenty books with a character, is that character going to develop and change or are they going to be um, Jack Reacher? You know, if you have Jack Reacher from the Lee Child series, um, he doesn't change really. I mean, he if you if you pick up um, one of the Jack Reacher series, if you pick up book fifteen or you pick up book five, he's going to react the same in a, in a given situation, and he he's not really that much different uh, because that's what that's what the readers want. They expect that. Um, I made a conscious choice with this because I'm on I'm writing or editing book three right now that uh, Trevor Galloway is going to change that the stories are going to change him like they would a normal human being so so the events that occur in bolt action remedy are going to have a bit of an effect on him record scratch and what happens in record scratch uh, will drastically affect him for book three and so on Um, I'm I'm going to make him more to real life and then we'll see what happens hopefully the readers respond and accept the fact that he's more to, more true to life than than some characters who remain static through a series and, and don't really change and um you have to have that suspension of disbelief to to say okay you know in real life a person would have changed but this person is going to not not respond emotionally like a real person would now of course, this is not your your your, your first books. Uh, these two, Bolt Action Remedy, and then Record Scratch in the series. So, how have you kind of changed yourself as an author? Uh, you know, I know you go to Thriller Fest all the time, and then you know you go to different conferences like BoucherCon and places like that. Do those conferences help you grow a lot? I mean, when you go and, and when you see and you talk to people, and you know, how how has you kind of how have you kind of changed from you know Measure Twice and Resolve now into this series? Um, yeah, my, I've, I experiment a little bit because um, with Resolve was my first book, and I wrote in first person um, with a character named Cypress Keller, and I really enjoyed it. And then I decided with Measure Twice uh, was my second. I was going to do third person, and I structured those different ways. And then um, my third book was Chalk's Outline. And I ended up doing multiple points of view where I went from first person to third person. Um, and so I'd, I'd, I played around with that. And then I came back to first person for Trevor Galloway's character for Bold Action Remedy and Record Scratch. And I, 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 so I really like to experiment a lot. Now I've decided with Galloway's character, I'm going to stick with first person. And then when I go to conferences, whether it be Thriller Fest or Boucher Con, and when I, associate with other writers at these things in different groups. Um, I, I see, I see that they, they do the same type things. They see what works for them. Um, I learn from them. I obviously, I read a lot. I always have one book going on my bed stand and I'm always listening to an audio book uh, in my car or on my, or while I run, I usually have one on my headphones. Um, 
so I I see what works, what doesn't, and I try to to you know customize that and make that work for my characters. Um, sometimes it won't work for whatever story that I'm creating. If you know, I knew for Galloway, I needed first person. I just needed it for the for the psychological aspect because of his issues. I just needed to get in his head. But but um, I I think uh, that being around other authors and in the, the writing community and the support that you get from that is just invaluable. Cause as you know, cause I've seen you at conferences, um, as you know, that the writing community is great. It's, it's got to be the only community where 99% of the people seem to be jealous of somebody else, but will help each other. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> but when you're starting to look forward now into book three, and like you said, you're going to make Trevor change, is that difficult for you? Is that something that is a was that an organic decision, or did you kind of outline that? It, it was it was a conscious decision. Um, it is difficult for me because I really like Trevor the way he is, um, but I, I wouldn't feel true to the storyline if I just left him and said no, he's going to be, you know, completely stoic throughout this whole thing and he's not going to be affected by the events that are happening to him because um, I try to put myself in the character shoes just as I think most authors do um, and you say okay you, you know, what if, if a normal person has been through this and this and this are they just going to to keep reacting the same way are they never going to be in a relationship um, you know are they not going to be affected by a breakup or a tragedy um, it's like you know, it's like when you watch TV and everybody in a, a, a crime drama seems to be single because they always want you know there to be the possibility of a romantic interest, a new romantic interest. That drives me crazy. Um, uh-huh. You know why? Why can't characters ever get married? Um, why it, it it happens occasionally, but not nearly en- enough. But uh, it's uh, so I try, I'm going to try to make it more natural, and then hopefully. Hopefully that's going to work out, but I, I would like it to progress like a, a real person. And some, and a lot of authors do that, and they do it well. But um, a lot of people who have extremely long series, they do keep their characters static because they, they, that's what readers want. That's what they expect. They want to, they want that they want to know that you know Lincoln Rhyme is going to be responding in a certain way. They want that certainty when they pick up the book. Yeah, that's true because you know it, it gives them that more sense of real of of. I guess like real life, like they're watching their life unfold, you know, between their eyes. And of course, in today's day and age of social media, where everybody's throwing their freaking entire life out there anyway, including their dinner and everything else, um, you know, that that's just, I think that's just the new norm. I think that's just, uh, you know, before you would kind of only see like, you know, Robin Leach, you know, rich and famous, and you would see their house and, you know, celebrities were kind of you know, mystery and, and, you know, mysterious. You didn't really know anything about him. Now you know everything about him. So, yeah, I think that the writing has changed a little bit that way. Right. Yeah, we're definitely much more open. Yeah. And um, it's, 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 it's funny when you go back and read books. Like I, I read a lot of the Jonathan Kellerman books. Um, I think oh, yeah. his, his, his books are, as far as, because my background is law enforcement, and um, as far as interviewing goes, when you look at how somebody interviews the who, what, getting the who, what, when, where, why, and how, his books are the best. Um, they're just fantastic. Um, he, his character, the Alex Delaware series, is a, a psychologist, but he does the best interviews 
to, to make sure he asks all the relevant questions. So I, I loved reading his book. But a lot of his book, that series started back in the 80s, I think. And it's, it's funny if you go back and read those books and you're like, wait a second, why is he stopping to make a phone call? Oh, because they don't have cell phones. Um, why does he not know this about this person? Oh, because he can't Google it. Um, there's, it's funny that you know, we're so much more open and information is so much more accessible now. And um, that, you know, that just wasn't the case now. And I think that has to be reflected in the work. Yeah, definitely. Do you, now, I know that you're on social media. You know, I see you tweet and, and, and on mm-hmm. Facebook and things like that. Do you let social media, though, because everything is so instant and now that the book is out and you're receiving reviews on Amazon and maybe checking them once a day, and this, do you kind of look at your reviews at all anymore or no? Um, I, yeah, I do. Um, okay. I, I look at them to see what their response is. Um, I, I, I wouldn't let it – I wouldn't let it affect my work, um, just because. Oh, okay, the other question. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's it's just not going to affect my work because once I get to writing, I don't even think about it. Um, but it's more out of curiosity to see what people are um, people are, are responding to, uh, in in general in the market, um, and also because I I really love getting irritated for some reason when I see reviews that say. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to give this book a one-star review because the FedEx guy left the package in the rain. Uh, oh, thanks. The author's going to appreciate yeah. that. Um, um, or uh, I, I think oh, my favorite one, uh, Matt, Matthew Farrell, who um, uh, wrote a book that's been doing very, very well recently. He he posted recently uh, an Amazon review that he got recently for for his book and. It was a review that said that it was for the Kindle version of his book, and it said, "I used this product to steam my clothes, and it worked really well." So somebody obviously just posted it for like an iron or something. Then, so I think it's great. Uh, so it's it's fun. sometimes those, those reviews are just amusing to read. Uh, they just get confused and, and post the wrong things. <laughs> I used it to steam my clothes. And that was oh, man, I tell so you, I'm, I'm guessing the hard – I want to know what It's a crazy freaking is. world we live in right now, isn't it? People just not paying attention and – oh, God. Yeah, but, uh, but no, yeah, I do. I, 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 I you know, follow online, and, and, um, and, and it, you know, a lot of that is great. Um, there are some upsides to that with Twitter and Facebook and Goodreads and everything. It is free marketing. For authors, and you have to you have to take advantage of that, and it's it's a way to to communicate and reach out and talk to the readers, which we didn't have that ability you know, years ago to be able to do that and to interact with with the customers. And I think you have to do that because um, it's it's probably it seems like there's the demographic of people who are reading certain types of books, especially maybe crime fiction. Uh, there's just fewer and fewer people who are uh, of a certain age who are reading them and the the demographics. I know there's been some studies that show that the readers, the demographics are getting older. Um, So we have to find those younger fans who are out there on social media and try to try to keep them interested. Well, you know, you, you mentioned before, you know, you mentioned that your career in law enforcement, tell everybody a little bit about your background because it is um, fascinating. Uh, well, I uh, can't say I 
after I came out of Penn State, I uh, became a police officer in Chesterfield County, Virginia, for a few years. And then uh, I was a special agent with the U.S. Secret Service for seven years. And then I decided I wanted to go to the were? Did you work closely with anybody? Uh, I came on under the Clinton administration. I was in the Richmond field office, so I was working counterfeit cases and then also working protection, going up to D.C. and and traveling all sorts of places and working protection. But came on during the Clinton administration briefly, and then the rest of the time it was uh, the Bush administration. And then did that for seven years, and I was working protective intelligence a lot too, which was um, threat cases. Um, and uh, then uh, – Seven years so, ago, so you would have been working on what was going on with the bombing then. This would have been your department. Oh yeah, I would have been doing a lot of that. I would have uh, gotcha. been heavily involved in in a lot of the stuff that's been going on lately. So uh, I actually uh, t- uh, texted a friend of mine who was involved in um, protective intelligence work as until recently, and texted him recently. Said, "Hey, aren't you glad you're not doing that right now?" He's like, "Yep, absolutely." Um, yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of people yeah, don't that understand that the Secret Service do that too. It's not just the FBI. Oh yeah, they, they do the threat yeah. part of it, um, and then uh, once there's an actual attack, the FBI does, does the they take the lead on the investigation uh, past that. But the the threat the threat analysis and all that. So I used to do a lot of the threat investigations and interview the people, and then uh, do classification on deciding if they were an actual threat or if they were uh, in need of mental health treatment and things like that. So, so I got There's to interview a lot of people. Lot of people like, are, yeah. yeah. I got to interview a lot of people like the, the gentleman who was driving around in the, the uh, crazy van. Um, so then I went and trained. You got stories to tell. That's, that's all I know. We could go on for hours with your freaking stories. Cause I mean, it's, they're fascinating. Yeah, there there was there was a lot of uh, unique individuals who showed up at the White House. <laughs> so give everybody uh, your up, um. Oh, go ahead. I was going to uh, say, you know, um, give everybody your uh, your website and your social media so they can follow uh, everything that you got going on. Uh, my um, I have a, a blog called from I, t- I changed the name of it re- when I moved to the Savannah area. It's uh, called From Yens to Y'all. Uh, because people in Pittsburgh like to use the word yens instead of y'all, and down in Savannah they say y'all. So from yens to y'all. Um, and my website is www.hensley-books.com. I'm on Facebook, JJ Hensley Author page, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is JJ Hensley Author. And, or you can just Google me, and I'm on Goodreads. Um, and uh, probably an assortment of other places. So it's easy. If you Google me, you can find me uh, pretty much anywhere. Awesome. JJ, man, it's always a pleasure. We're going to be at Thriller Fest next year, so hopefully we'll be able to connect, uh, you know, and, and just hang out for a little bit. That'd be cool. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, man, congratulations on the new book, Record Scratch, and appreciate you coming on. It's been fabulous to talk to you and, you know, wish you nothing but the best, so we will talk with you soon. All right. Thanks, John. All right, man. Bye-bye. Bye. So, again, everybody, that is author J.J. Hensley, and the book is called Record Scratch, second in his series. Go grab it now. It is available. Uh, you'll be very glad you did. J.J. is a fantastic author. Like I said, uh, with his background and, and how he writes scenes, you'll be uh, you'll be sitting there going, wow, why is this guy not higher up on a list and more well-known 
this is definitely a, a gem that you should have on your uh, bookshelf. So go out and get that book, Record Scratch. And again, it's hensley-books.com for more information. So we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back here with our next guest. She's waiting patiently to come on. Of course, of course, it's October. What does that mean? That's right. Lady Emily is back, and she is back here with, uh, what is it, her 13th novel. So it's great, 13th October. That only means one thing. That's Tasha Alexander. So we will be up there with her in just a second. In the meantime, here you go. We'll be right back. After the break, again, we want to thank J.J. Hensley for coming on and speaking with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to J.J. And now we are going to transition, of course, into October, which is Tasha Alexander Month for us here on Suspense Radio. I think we've had her on the past six or seven years straight for her latest book. And we're always great to catch up and see what's going on in Lady Emily world. So, Tasha, thank you so much for coming on again. How are you doing? I'm good, John, and thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure and I feel like a book hasn't really come out unless I've talked to you. And I will tell you, this is actually the first time I'm talking about this book. 
Nice. And you have an event tonight, so I'm going to warm you up. We're going to get you in there. You're going to be all going because, um, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, in this book, you, you've you done a little, I something a little different. It, you've, it feels like you've kind of amped up the action, I think, and the thrills. Tell us what about yeah. this one. Well, this one, this one was a book that really took me a little bit by surprise because uh-huh. it opens with Queen Victoria's death. And, you know, Queen Victoria was alive for an extremely long time. And yeah. when I first started writing, you know, the, fir- the first novel was set in 1890, and Victoria dies in 1901. And I thought I would never, ever get to the point that Victoria was actually kicking the bucket. But she did, <laughs> of course, eventually. <laughs> yep. So, you know, and that really, that, that shift going from the Victorian era to the Edwardian era, I don't know. I, it, it just, you know, eras don't change overnight social mores don't change overnight, but it, it really just was a different feeling writing, knowing that Queen Victoria was dead. Yeah. I could definitely see a difference a little bit. And I was like, you know, I, there's definitely a little bit something going on. And it, so I'm glad that I know that there was a change that you had kind of thought of it and that you kind of noticed, you know, noticed it too, because, you know, with 13 books, it's, it's difficult you know, for you, of course, there's series that, of course, Lady Emily is still the same, but to keep her still fresh, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And so with this one, um, I love the, I love the entanglement of the case. And I think that that's what kind of really drew me in. Go a little bit into that explanation of kind of how you kind of wove that one together in this, because this was nice, complex. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really fun to write. It was challenging, though, because it is complicated. Uh, yeah, it's complex. Because we have, well, we have, we have really three things going on, because in, in, this, this book has two timelines. So in Emily's timeline, we've got a series of murders where the victims are staged to mimic scenes of gruesome deaths of kings of England. And secondly, we have going on with Colin. Colin is getting these mysterious messages, uh, kind of creepy um, treasure hunt almost, scavenger hunt really. And they're concerned, he's concerned that, that in, especially in the context of these murders where you've got scenes showing the deaths of kings, he's afraid that someone is trying to kill the new king, Edward VII. But then we also have a third element, which is a medieval storyline that takes us back to 15th century England and one of Colin's, well, two of Colin's ancestors, um, John Hargrave and his wife. Um, And that, because we needed to understand some of that background, that medieval history to figure out what's happening with Colin in 1901. Yeah, and which makes I love things a little complicated. Yeah, it does, it's, and I love that time period. I'm a huge Dark Ages, Middle Ages, medieval kind of fan, and, and I was like, and and, I, and it was really exciting when you kind of like, like you said, when you kind of did that ancestral trip back 
to kind of see, you know, Edwards and kind of understand more. So that was really that was really cool. And yeah, the three tangent thing going on, and then all of a sudden, you know, how everything kind of works itself together. But um, yeah, what, what was your excitement for for thirteen when you just started to write it? What what started coming together when you started when you felt like, oh, this is this this could be something really special? Because I'm going to tell you right now, well, I think that this could be the best one you've ever written in the series. Oh, thank you. I really, yeah. really and, appreciate that. And and I know that that's tough to say because the other 12, of course, are really good, and you're always like, oh, it's kind of like picking your children. But for some sure. reason, I don't know if it was a connection or whatever, but this one here was – I really – I mean, it just it, – I, I, it just really thinks – I really think that way. Well, you know, I have long wanted to have a medieval element in one of the books because, you know, my degree actually – I went to Notre Dame, and I did English and medieval studies. And I really did a lot more with medieval studies. You know, a lot of my English credits were actually, you know, medieval drama and things, medieval literature. So that's a time period I've always been fascinated by. And so getting to bring that in was, was really exciting for me. But also, I think, for me, English history is just so fascinating, and when you can weave in the medieval to the Victorian to the Edwardian, it's really fun because I think one of the things, if you like English history, you, you, one of the things that's appealing about it is that it's such a long history. I mean, we look at our country, we're like babies compared to, you know, the amount of history you've got in England. So even contemporary events in England are always rooted in the historical. They've got thousands of years worth of history on that, on that little island. Yep. So I think this book, because of drawing from the two, into the two time periods and then entering into a third, it really gives you a, a rich tapestry to work with. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I love – like I said, and I love that medieval stuff and, and England and Europe and Rome and Greece. I mean, I go back to the, you know, to like 2000 BC and kind of work my way forward. I have history books that I read on those subjects and, and it is, and it's, and it's great to, to be with that, to be with, for you to be able to, to bring that in. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, that's the fun with historical fiction of any kind. Yeah. You know, and the one thing that you notice on a lot of the TVs with, like, the Tudors and what, and the and these, you know, the Game of Thrones and all these pieces that kind of, you know, take you back kind of to that time, do you think that the resurgence kind of of those time period pieces are really helping resurge the books that you write kind of in those veins? Absolutely, because, you know, anytime you've got something on TV, television has such a huge audience so if you get things historical being popular in mainstream culture that you know it's a great it's a great catalyst for fiction because people who maybe didn't think they would like to read anything historical get interested in a time period or a country or whatever it is, you know, that draws them in about the tutors or, or one of those shows, then they want to know more about it. Then they can turn to books. So it's, a, it's, it's kind of a great, it's almost like advertising for, for your time period or the, the place. 
Um, I remember I wrote a book years and years and years ago uh, that went with the film Elizabeth the Golden Age with Kate Blanchett and Clive Owen. Right. And I was talking to the historical consultant for the film because I had concerns about doing the book because, you know, Hollywood is not known for being historically accurate when it comes to yeah, you think? <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, just a little off. Had some, the script had some huge inaccuracies in it. And so I was worried about, about you know, taking part in the project. And he said to me, and it was very wise, he said, look, with this movie, we aren't trying to tell the true history. And I mean, okay, we could sit here for six hours and discuss why they should, in fact, try to tell the true history, but they're not going, they're not going to. But what you said is our goal was to show viewers what Elizabeth's personality was like. And they actually did a really good job with that. I mean, they had some, like I said, sweeping inaccuracies in in specific historical things that were going on during the the film. But they did do a good job of capturing her, her character. And what he said is, he's like, look, millions of people are going to, even if this movie flops, millions of people are going to see it, right? And that's a much bigger audience than any book can reasonably hope to have. And so what he was saying is this just makes the people who saw the film interested in knowing more about the real history. So, you know, even though the TV show might not be accurate or a movie might not be accurate, it can drive people to want to find out the truth. And for that, they go to books. Right. And and I hope that a lot of people do because – I'm, you know, because, you know, I'm kind of with you. I think it's almost not really dangerous. I think, but I think it's, I think it's kind of irresponsible to just say, well, let's change the history to make the character sound better. It's like, but I always, my question is, well, wasn't it the history and the character that got you excited? So why do you have to change it? Because that is exactly my thing. You have something. You know, and you really see it with things like when they did the movie Troy, right? Okay, Iliad. Humans have been completely fired up about this story for thousands of years. They don't need to change it. No, it was great. (laughs) Why are you? Exactly. But for some reason, I don't don't know why they feel like they have to change it, but they clearly do. Well, you know, the one thing – there's also a trend that you've kind of started on on your own and you kind of started it back a little here with uh, star of the East. Um, is your next Christmas novella coming out here soon? It actually you've came had three out in a row. Tuesday. Yeah. Last Tuesday. And it's so called it, Amid so the it winter is out. No, a mid to winter is snow is now mm-hmm. out. Okay. It, yep. And that was a fun, you know, those Christmas novellas are very fun to write. And for this one, I I dug into the local legends in Derbyshire, which is where Emily and Collins' um, country estate is. And I, you know, it's fascinating to look at local lore and superstition. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing because no matter where you go in the world, there, the stories have such commonality through them. So with with this, um, the villagers nearby the estate have been seeing the bar guest. And the bar guest is a terrifying black dog 
Some people claim he has red eyes, but he always portends bad things, generally death. And, you know, if you start looking across the world, there are stories about black dogs portending death all over the world, which is, you know, it makes you wonder what is going on with humans that we all come up with similar stories, right? Right. But so Colin and Emily have to figure out what is going on with the bar guest before the villagers can have Christmas, a happy Christmas. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, I, I think I, I love I love when you, when you put these out because they're just like little companions to you know the already but but they're standalones I mean it's not anything like you know you can just kind of pick up as nice quick reads and and they're great as just yeah. like you know continuations um, of of what's going on but how how do you kind of make sure that you do you know how do you find these tales to wrap it around Christmas to bring it, you know, you know, seasonally and seasonal. Yeah, you know, that is the challenge. But what I have found is that sometimes with anything creative, if you are painted into a bit of a corner, which you are, if the story has to somehow have to do with Christmas, obviously, um, it forces you to, to be more creative because you, you know it has to be Christmas. And so you have to really look harder, dig deeper, find something you know you don't want it to be forced you don't want it to just be that well I had this random idea for a story so I'll just force it into Christmas you know Uh, you want it to to fit naturally and not not be contrived you know overly contrived Um, but Christmas and in England there are there's a wonderful tradition of ghost story Christmas ghost stories in England that is a big thing and so you know that gives you a lot of, of of good research material and then like i said with this one i was going to this looking at the local legends okay. and i figured a bar guest can come at any time of year but wouldn't you rather have one coming in when snow is swirling over the moors i think their red eyes stand out better in a snowstorm exactly they do i just remember the only the red eyes that always haunt me are still the ones when i saw amityville horror and it was from Jody, the little pig oh. that was outside the window. That scared the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, that movie. Okay, I grew up in a like house nine when I had saw attic windows. Well, I ha- we had the attic windows that looked like that, you know, the house in Amityville Horror. And I remember oh, we had a babysitter who was you? like, I can't come back here because I'm too scared of your attic windows. <laughs> I'm not going up there. That was a scary movie, oh, yeah. especially if you were nine. Yeah. Wow. I know, yeah, I, I got dragged into it, but I, got, I saw Halloween when I was eight in the movie theaters, I mean, because it was oh kind of like gosh, the, one of those wow. things, my sister was seven years older than me, and it was like, well, if she's going to go, you got to take your brother, because you can't leave him home alone, so I got dragged, so I got thrown into horror at an early age, but I love it, I love horror, I just don't like well, gore, it, it, that, I don't like gore. That's how I am, I don't like gore, it just gives me nightmares, yeah. I have an overactive imagination, so, yeah. yeah. I like, yeah, I the, like a good gore. scare, but I don't need the gore. Right. But, you know, for all the people who scream and yell about, you know, bookstores going away, and that is, and it's, and it's sad to see, but without the ebooks, the novellas that you write would never really have happened. I mean, you couldn't just print them That's and right. put them in bookstores. So this is, this is the good thing that we're getting out of ebooks, that we're getting more from our favorite authors like you, that you're able to give us more because of ebooks. 
I, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I feel bad because I know a lot of readers do prefer to have an actual hard copy book, and I get that. But unfortunately, with, that, with short form fiction, they're just, it's too expensive for publishers to too print it. And I think a lot of people don't realize, because I get sometimes people contact me and say, yeah, but I don't have an e-reader. You can download free apps for all of the e-reader platforms, for either your phone or your computer, so you don't have to buy a device. And and like I said, I get it. I mean, we're book people. We all love actual books. I love a nice cover and beautiful paper and, you know, but, but sometimes you just can't have that. And Without the ebooks, we wouldn't have these short things. We wouldn't have novellas. We wouldn't have the little short stories that you can do. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing. Plus, you know, sometimes ebooks are really convenient, like when you're traveling. Well, yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, and that's always kind of, people love iPods. Oh, my God, iPods and Spotify and Pandora, but I want a print book. Wait a second. Yeah. Uh, you don't like carrying yeah. all those CDs and you like your Spotify. Exactly. What the hell is the difference? <laughs> exactly. Although I will say that when I travel, because I have an iPad and so I've got, I've got all the apps Oh, yeah, on I've got thousands on my iPad. I have that, and so I've got all the books, but I, I just am never going to 100% trust any electronic device, so I always have to carry actual books with me too. Because what if you're on a plane and your e-reader dies? Oh God! Don't say that. You can't I, be I have left to my with phone. nothing to read. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but then what if that died? So I always have a stack of books and my iPad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The good thing is, it's close. You know, we get ten thousand books a year or so to review, so we always oh, have wow. books around the house. And then, you know, whatever we whatever we don't use, or you know, the galleys we throw away, and then of course the other ones we donate and, and do stuff like that. But I I, I hate moving them. And that's my biggest thing is, like, I just hate to go move yeah. them. Like, I have to go yeah. – when I'm off the radio today, I have to go over to the the mailbox, and I have to go pick up our – because we always have, like, five of those plastic tubs of books that we oh, have to wow. go get and bring back. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we have to go over and do that, and that's just – it's a lot. So I do I do like the convenience, but it's because of these things that I like. It's, I like these little novellas. I mean, and they take you – I mean, there's still a lot of work to put into it, but I think yeah. is this more like a fun cleansing palette just to have fun with it because it's not as serious as the series? Absolutely. And, in fact, because what I did with, with Amid the Winter Snow, I had actually just finished writing the first draft of next year's book, which of is course. set in Pompeii. And, that you know, you're, you've been grappling for months with this story and research and – it's consuming, and then so to finish and be able to just dip into something that, like you said, it is a lot of work because sometimes I think a short piece is actually harder than writing a whole novel because you need all the elements. Yeah, more compact. In a much more compact package, and mm-hmm. you don't have 400 pages to play with. You know, you've got a right. short short number of pages, but um, it's very it's really nice after being so deep in a book to come in and write something that is a little lighter because it's Christmas. So at the end of the day, you can't have it be, you know, huh. brutal murders, you know. Brutal exactly. murders and Christmas don't go too well. Yeah. No, unless it's Krampus. But then that's just yeah. weird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
you know, Jack Frost, whatever. Was it Jack Jack Frost Killer or whatever? That when that was crazy too. They haven't done a really good right. horror setting around Christmas because it is difficult because it's so nice and you know whatnot. I just feel bad for Thanksgiving because exactly. it seems to have gotten gotten. Thanksgiving is gone now. It's just I know gone. Well. Because if we're putting up Christmas decorations in September, you know, there's really not room for Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it. I mean, you know, there's Christmas all over the place. Go to Macy's or go wherever, and it's all Christmas right now. And I'm like, people, Halloween is still on Wednesday. Like, let's right? just, okay, let's just wait till November 1st. I get it. You want all of our money, but you're still going to get it if you start November 1st. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> God. Yeah, I don't know. They should so, not be allowed to do Christmas before Thanksgiving. No, exactly. It's like, just wait. You're still going to get all of our freaking money. You're just going to get it in a smaller time frame. Exactly. You know, we're all spend our money. Yeah. We so are. you said the we best one is set in Pompeii. It is. And I got to tell you, I'm super excited about that book. Did you go there? Um, did, you, did you guys travel? I, I did. I did. I went there yes. and to Herculaneum. Which is Herculaneum is a, a Roman city, an ancient Roman city that was just a few miles away from Pompeii. But the eruption of Vesuvius affected the two. I mean, it destroyed both of the cities. But the manner of destruction was different. So that in Pompeii, where you got all this pumice and ash falling over a longer period of time. Herculaneum was destroyed by pyroclastic flow that came in really suddenly and quickly. And the temperatures were so high that the wood, and it sounds counterintuitive, but the wood didn't burn because the the volcanic gases and the high temperature, there was no oxygen, eliminated the oxygen. So the wood in Herculaneum was instantly charcoalized instead of burning like it did it mainly did in Pompeii. Uh, so you get, you see furniture and, you know, wooden railings and the shutters are still on the house. It's amazing, amazing place. Wow. That's because Shannon and I are fascinated with Southeast Asia. I mean, you know, we'd love to live in Cambodia and Thailand and live in that area. Oh yeah. Spend our days out there. But if I, I always said, you know, Europe is one of those things that it's like, you know, I, it's not a lot of it. I know a lot of the history is a lot of the history is still there, but a lot of it got burned away in the wars and things like that. Yeah. But Rome and Athens would be the two cities that I still want to uh, go to. Oh, you should go. They're both just extraordinary to see. You know, to see the Acropolis in Athens and Rome. You know, here's where Caesar was assassinated. Yeah. It's it's mind blowing, but Pompeii, and that's south of Rome, city. right? Pompeii south. It is. It's near yeah. Naples. It's near Naples. Right. Okay, yeah. That's right. But, but you are walking on those streets. Mm-hmm. They are. You're walking on the Roman pavement. You are going in and out of houses and shops and taverns. And you know, a lot of people spend one day there. And honestly, when I was there. It was so overwhelming. It's big, you know, because you have the whole city, and then you get the casts of the the bodies. Yeah. So you're walking in a house, right? And you, you know, you're getting through all the rooms. You you know what their functions were. You get a sense of the space, and then you go into the garden, and there are the people who lived there. Yeah. 
And that is just, it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Actually, on my trip, I was with two dear friends of mine and my son, um, because Andrew was writing and he couldn't come because he was on deadline. But I would say that for the first two to two days, we could barely even speak in the ruins because we were so overwhelmed. We just kept saying, we, we have no words for this. It's so overwhelming. The, The sense of loss, human loss, combined with this just magnificent ruin, you know, that gives you a sense of what an ancient city was like that nothing else in the world does. It's extraordinary. Man. Oh, okay. Well, now I, well, there we go. Now I got to add Pompeii and and Naples and Rome and Athens to a trip. Yeah. I think you got to do that. (laughs) Oh my God. Three weeks. There we go. It'll be worth So it. tell everybody um, best place to find you. Is it just is it just your website? And of course, I know you're on social media, but TashaAlexander.com dot com is uh, is your website. Uh, what's your social media that you're on the most? If I know Facebook, um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Although I'm yeah, I mean I, I do a lot on Instagram, but it's probably more my life than book stuff. So I don't know if people are going to find that interesting. Um, I'm on Twitter, but if you want to go on Twitter, you will see me rant about politics. And so, you know, that might not be to everyone's taste, but too bad. <laughs> hey, rant it out. You got to do it sometimes. Yeah. You know, no, you I mean, I, we could uh, it could have been me, you, and JJ on the show for an hour, and we could have just ranted the hell out of it if we wanted to. <laughs> but, oh, yes, we could. We could. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, Shannon said that last night. She goes, "You should just tell Tasha to call in at nine and just have the three of you just go for an hour." And I'm like, "Oh, oh I don't know if people can handle that." <laughs> yeah, they might get people might be like, "Okay, stop right." Yeah, they're like, "What did I tune into?" And it's like, you know what? You tune into my show, and I'll say whatever the hell we want is what we do here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, Tasha, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Hopefully we'll see you in July. We'll stay in tune. Tell Andrew, check his email, because his publicist better have done his job, and then we'll talk to him in January when his book comes Excellent. out. Very excited to, see, to, to, to talk to him about that. Oh, you're going to love this book. I mean, he has really done something amazing with this, because he's starting a new series, and it will Hopefully they send blow your mind. Uh, they should be sending them out anytime now. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe I'll get it when I go over to the post office this morning. Maybe it'll be in our box. So that'll you, be good. It may be. It may be. If so, you've got yeah. a good read in store. Nice. Well, Tasha, it's always a pleasure. Wish you guys nothing but the best. Enjoy, and we will talk with you soon. Looking forward to it. Always All a right. pleasure Bye. to talk to you, John. All right. All Bye-bye. Right. So again, everybody, that is author Tasha Alexander, and don't forget that her latest book here, it is the 13th in her Lady Emily series, and it is called Uneasy Lies the Crown. So make sure you go out there and you check this out. Um, If you're not read a Lady Emily book, I'll tell you, this is a great one to pick up, and then you'll go back to the first, and then you'll just start devouring them all. But Uneasy Lies the Crown is the latest one. Uh, Go out and get that and visit TashaAlexander.com. We are going to be back here with our next guest. Um, We've had her on the show before. Now she's back to talk about her latest book, Daniela Barnett. So until then, we will leave you all with this. Hold on one second.
Welcome, everybody, again here after the break. It's been a wonderful show already. We are so happy that we were able to talk to J.J. Hensley and Tasha Alexander um, on the show. And now we're going to be bringing on our final guest of the afternoon or morning, however you're listening or wherever, uh, Daniela Burnett. And she is back here to talk about the fourth book in her Kirby Longdon series. It is called A Checkered Past. Um, So we want to make sure that we want to welcome Daniela onto the show. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you very much for having me again. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. And so we are now into the fourth book of your series, A Checkered yes. Past. So now you're starting to get kind of, like I say, like some pages behind you. Um, you know, you're starting to have a lot more depth with these characters. So give us the uh, skinny on what you got going on here in book four. Okay. Well, in this book, um, it's it's about uh, Emmeline, who's a journalist. Uh, she's doing a series about uh, looted Nazi art, and to make it uh, the. Um, the series more personal and so on, she's talking to her best friend, Maggie Roth, who um, happened, like a relative of hers, happened to be in France during the war and had a a painting looted by the Nazis. And as part of this series that Emmeline's doing, she wants to try and find this painting. And, of course, uh, another element of this, we're still slowly, slowly finding out more secrets about Gregory's past, his secret past. We, we had some quite shocking ones in the previous book, and now they're being developed a little bit more. So Emmeline is dealing with these two um, twists in the tale. And then just to give the story a little bit more depth, um, as I was doing some research for the book, I discovered that um, the IRA uh, collaborated with the German Abwehr, which was the military intelligence during the war. So I added that as another element of the story when I created um, this sinister character called Doyle, who's a former IRA commander, and he has a connection to this looted Nazi painting. Nice. So give people a little bit of taste of, you know, exactly, you know, who the characters of Kirby and Longdon are going back from the first book now all the way up through A Checkered Past. 
Okay, well, in the first book, which is Lead Me Into Danger, um, Emmeline and Gregory, uh, Emmeline's the journalist, Gregory's a jewel thief. Um, they are former lovers, uh, and they hadn't seen each other in two years, and they come across each other in the first book, Lead Me Into Danger, and they immediately get involved in this um, hunt for a, a, a Russian spy in the British Foreign Office and um, a, a murder of a fellow journalist of hers in Venice. So they became complicated with that. And then in Deadly Legacy, their relationship develops a little bit more because Emmeline is still, she still has feelings for him, but she still continues to push him away. And in the second book, Deadly Legacy, it's about $100 million in stolen diamonds, and they get in, embroiled in that. And then in the third book, which is From Beyond the Grave, which came out last year, um, their relationship, I try. I was building their relationship a little bit more, and I needed, because of that, I needed to take them away from London, which is where the books are generally set, and I took them to Torquay, which is on the coast in Devon, to get away from their usual lives so that to concentrate on their relationship. And that's when all the secrets about his past and a woman from his past came out in the third book. And those lingering secrets, uh, I um, moved them on a bit in this book so their relationship is developed it's still tension there she's still keeping away but they are engaged in this book so there is hope for the fans out there and um, so Gregory with his jewel uh, thief uh, past it, you know a criminal you know tries to find another criminal but in this book he's also he's vowed to Emmeline to become to become legitimate so suddenly He's uh, found a job as the chief investigator at Symington's, which is um, like a Lloyd's of London, an insurance investigator. And everybody is quite surprised how a jewel thief could get a job like this. Hmm. So, yeah, so now that you kind of got those pages kind of behind you, um, how have you been able to grow yourself from first to fourth? How do you see yourself? If you were to go back and read book one and then read book four, would you look and say, wow, that's a totally different, you know, author Dan, author Burnett than I was originally? Well, I, I think I, I think you, you do develop with each book. I mean, it's also you have more like in the second book, Deadly Legacy, I had more confidence not only in my writing, but I had more confidence in the characters and, you know, how to develop them, what I wanted them to do. Because I had the idea for the first a few books in my head before I started writing the first book. Because it is a series, you know, I leave a little something in the first one, develop it a little bit more. So I had the idea of how I wanted them to develop. But, you know, they take me along, they drag me along on a new journey in each book. But I think with each book, I have more confidence in me. And I have more confidence in Gregory and Emmeline, because as an author, you have to know your characters. You have to know how they would think in a situation, how they would react in a situation. So you, you have to have that confidence, that knowledge, that intimate knowledge, so that you can progress the story. Or you can say, oh, well, they wouldn't do that. Or, oh, if I put this twist in, this will happen. Mm -hmm. And so how much conscious efforts do you really – you know, handle in your writing. Do you do a lot? Of, I, for, I always, I, I mean, I'm sorry, I forget because do you do a lot of outlining or do you do a lot of organic? Uh, well, 
I don't outline, but um, okay. I do. I do like to plan the the story out in my head before I sit down and write to have that basic skeleton of the plot to follow. I mean, as I go along, you know, another idea pops in my head, but at least to have that basic line in my head. But I, I don't. I don't. I know others work and they sit down and do an outline, but that's not me. You know, yeah, you know, and and it kind of restricts people, but I understand why people do it. Uh, of course, you know, yeah. when you're growing up in, in school, everything is outline, 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 and then you start realizing when you start writing that it's yeah. no, it's okay to go outside the box and be organic and and do those kinds of things. So. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to be open to new ideas. You know, like suddenly, you know, something pops. It's like, oh, that's perfect. I'll just change this a little bit so that I can put this in. So you, you just like as an author, you just have to be open to the ideas. And like sometimes your characters are the ones say, hmm, you know, I think you should do this with me. Right. I, and it's fun when your characters start talking to you. And I don't think you get that in an outline. No, I don't think so. No, because it, it it comes to you like you're going to laugh, but sometimes in the middle of the night I wake up because I, th- I think of a, gr- a, li- a great line of dialogue and I have to write it down. It's like, yes, Emmeline would definitely say that. Oh, yes, Gregory would definitely have that kind of argument with a, a Chief Inspector Burnell of the Scotland Yard. So, so it, it it's. It's a combination of things. It's what the author, the idea the author has and what your characters are telling you to do and what they're telling you about themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting those, I guess you want to say those surprises, um, how do you kind of react to it? Do you kind of do things off the fly or do you kind of sit back and stop and once you've kind of written something down, you're kind of like, oh, how is this kind of going to fit in? And, you know, how is that kind of process for you when when you start, uh, you know, realizing those kinds of things are going on? Well, I, I mean, it is off the fly in a certain sense, but it's like, oh, you know, it's a continuation of something that I've already, like a scene I've already created. As uh, Then this new idea comes. It's like, oh, I can weave it in this way. So, I, I guess it would be off the fly. I mean, if the idea just pops into my head, but I, I, it, it's usually because I've made a connection in my head with a scene that I've already created. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you kind of let, I guess, the the world and the news and everything that's kind of going on and, and how, do you kind of let that affect your writing? Do you Do you bring subject matters in? that maybe be a little controversial? Do you think about bringing things in like that, or you just want to kind of just stay away from all of that and you really don't want to let that stuff kind of get into into the way? Well, I mean, I tend not to put the politics, but, I mean, it'll affect you in certain sense. A checkered past, I wrote before the political situation we have now in Washington. But there's a resurgence of certain things, uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, from the feelings that you had back from World War II and um, the sentiments, those same sentiments have uh, resurfaced again, which is terrifying for me. And, you know, as I said, the book is about a looted Nazi painting. And, you know, you see these stories in the papers all the time, even to this day, about victims trying to get their property back and uh, being um, assailed because they're, they're called greedy because it's, they're trying to get their own property back. It, it just it, it makes me, as a human being, I'm outraged by this. And I wanted to bring that, that sense 
into the book because Emmeline, as a journalist, would be outraged, would want to follow up, would want to dig into a, a situation like that. I, I mean, you can't forget, I mean, the Holocaust was this human tragedy that's going to follow us for, for the rest of our lives. And you can't forget that. If, if we forget, you know, humanity's soul is going to be condemned for perpetuity. And I wanted to, you know, it's an important issue for me, and I think it comes across in the story through Emmeline because she's an investigative journalist and, and she digs in and she doesn't give up. And we can't give up in, with a story like this you know, because you know, it's about justice, finding justice as, uh, against the betrayal that was perpetrated. So that's what I tried to um portray in the story with this modern, you know, it's, it's a contemporary story, but history follows us. We can never escape history. You can't escape the past. And that's the idea I tried to get across in the book. And what was it about this, this heist, this mystery about, you know, the painting and the Nazis and, and Germany and going back there that got you excited to, to, to write about it was, was it, was it involved with your research? Was it something that kind of came up? What was it that kind of got you excited to jump into this? Uh, well, it's it's an issue that, you know, uh, it's important to me, and it, it makes me angry uh, that, you know, people, victims still have to fight uh, to this day. So uh, I think anger <laughs> was really behind it. And, you know, you, you put that anger into the story and you show to try to put the human face on it. I mean, it is fiction, but it's based on true uh, on facts because these things happen to this day. So um, that's why I was trying to put a human face on the tragedy and in a small way. I mean, it's a book and as a, a crime fiction, you always try to find the perpetrator to find justice. And that's, you know, Emmeline's core belief to make sure that justice is done, justice is served. Um, and that's what I try to do in my humble little way. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, you know, and that's what I like to hear, you know, when I talk to authors is kind of the excitement of, of their stories and their books and, you know, how, how they kind of get re-energized to kind of sit down and write because, it, you know, writers write musicians and, you know, and musicians write and, and those things, they keep going. But there, there still has to be something that pulls you back. And mm -hmm. and I like to kind of hear that the stories of those things that kind of pull you back. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, you know, history. I've always been interested in history because you have to understand the past to know to understand why things are they are today. It's a, it's it's critically important. So you do not make the mistakes of the past. And if you do make these mistakes of the past, you have to think why. You know, this was done before and to such an outrageous extent. We have to change. You know, you have to bring about change. You have to learn and understand to bring about change. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and history does definitely does show us that. Do you do you watch a lot of TV? Do you have anything that like, you know, that you like binge watching now that you kind of uh, are like excited about? Well, I, I've never really binge watched, but I mean, you, you're probably gonna laugh, but I like since I was a little kid, I've I've been a devoted masterpiece theater and mystery fan. So those are like the two really big shows that I watch. Um, 
I don't really watch some of these other shows that are popular nowadays. You know, I've always been, you know, I've been an Anglophile since a little kid. So anything having to do with England, I was, I devoured books, TV shows, movies. So that's probably why, you know, Masterpiece Theater has always appealed to me. And of course, you know, I've been hooked on mysteries since I was a kid. You know, Agatha Christie is my, my idol, my, you know, I, I just, I love oh, yeah. all of her books. And um, I hope in my humble way I'm imitating her, you know, with like how her she she had a a great knowledge of human nature and its foibles. And she was able to portray that in different ways in each book and, you know, come up with different twists. And and I hope I'm trying to, to do that in my own own way. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, I mean, there's to me, there's no one better, too. But. Um, and there's so many things that you can watch. I mean, you have so many outlets and so many things that you can go on and watch. I mean, do do you do you look at reviews? Do you look at those things and 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 see what people are writing or seeing about you know seeing about the books and you know kind of let oh, well, that affect you? It seems that a lot of people are doing that nowadays. Oh, about reading about the reviews of my yeah, books you, or, you read or your of other books and stuff, or do you just not? Uh, you I just do not worry about the reviews. Well, I, I tend not to worry, but, you know, as, as a, an author from a smaller press, I, I don't get as many reviews as some of the, like, New York Times bestselling authors. I do tend, you know, just to get a general idea of, you know, it's like I would, as a writer, you always hope your readers like your books, and so you're curious to see it, but I, I'm not obsessed by looking at the reviews um, of my books. Yeah, so you don't kind of, because I think that some people are, you know, kind of like that, affect their next book like they no. try to guess what people are going to be curious about and that's kind of the way that they're going to try to write and i think that that hurts them so no i don't no it's like i i don't let that it's like i write the story that i want to write i take emmeline and gregory in a direction that i want to do it and i would hope that the readers like the journey that i'm taking them on but i i don't let reader reviews because it's if I don't write the story that I want, the story is not going to come out right. The writing is not going to, the, the, the twists, the turn, it's not going to, So, you know, I write the story that I want. They, they, they have their opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I'm going to write the story that I want. If there, if, if, if there could be any book out there ever written, which one would you have wanted to say that you wrote? Oh, that is so hard because I've been a voracious reader since I was like, oh, that's such a difficult question. <laughs> yeah. Oh Just, my yeah, goodness! Yeah, like which one would you which one would you want to say that you oh. wrote? Oh, that's difficult. Uh, I'm sure that there's ties. Rebecca know. by Daphne du Maurier. Oh, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, and also you know, Magpie. I, and Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz. That was another brilliant one. Oh, that's one. a newer one. Yeah. I interviewed, that yeah, was another I interviewed book. Anthony yeah. for that book. Oh, did you? Yeah, I saw him once yeah. in an interview. He, he's, he's, he's extremely witty and a brilliant writer. He is. He's him and Jeffrey Deaver and Ian Fleming, I think, are one of the only ones to ever write James Bond. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, yeah so. Anthony's kind of... No, anyway, so I was going to say, but it's like that's such a difficult question, especially for for a writer, because you, I just read so much. Like we as writers, we read so much, you know, in our genre, but in also in other genres. So that's such a difficult question. I mean, outside of mystery, um, you know, authors, 
you know, who who do you kind of, you know, look to um, when you're looking for a book and you want something that's outside of the maybe the mystery fiction realm? Oh well, I'm I'm a big Jeffrey Archer fan. I I've loved, oh, any, yeah, I don't even, I, I don't even need to read the back cover copy. I know I'm going to love his book. Um, oh, let's good. see what else. Uh, so many. I, I I read. You know, I I like biographies. I, I like um, mm-hmm. I like historical fiction. Uh, those are that's very good. So, it, any many, certain many time different. period that draws you in. Anything with England would naturally draw draw me in. <laughs> but I mean, but, any uh, time period of England, or just um, any any certain well, time the, period, the, or just really any time period. Well, the Victorian era, the Regency era, I like those um, those the medieval uh, the era oh, yeah. too. Those are there are so many intrigues and backstabbing and this, this, so forth. So it's just like I'm I'm all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you look at your series here and you look at, you know, Lead Me Into Danger and Daily, Deadly Legacy and From Beyond the Grave and now A Checkered Past. Yes. Do you, do you think that, you have, that, that you've written, like, the book that you've kind of wanted? Or are you still formulating it and getting it to where it's going to, to where the, the, the story is still going to, you know, the story is going to go? You understand what I mean? Are you kind of uh, yeah. are you still kind of feeling it out to kind of get it to a certain point, or have you kind of said I've kind of hit my path and this is kind of where it's going to lead? No, I think I, I think I've hit my stride, uh, espe- like especially with um, the next book, book five, which will be coming out next year. That's when blood runs cold. I, I think I think I, because I, I thoroughly understand. I know the direction that they're heading. So no, I, I think I've hit my stride uh, as, as I'm running along here on this on this journey that they're dragging me on. <laughs> and for people just finding out about you. Would you tell them to start at, you know, can they start at four, three, two, one, however they want to jump? Or Um, would would you have them go one through four? How would you suggest it? Well, I mean, each book is standalone. Like, if you picked up now A Checkered Past without having read the first three, you, you'll be all right because, you know, I do put some backstory in there so you'll be able to understand. If you want to see the development of Emmeline and Gregory and, and uh, Superintendent Burnell and so forth, as a, I would say start with book one. But if you pick up a book in the middle, you should be fine because I do put that backstory. But it, it would be better if you started with book one. But if you want to start with a checkered past because it, the story intrigues you, by all means, go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I think a lot of people are writing their series that way to be able to kind of just jump in and however they want to kind of get in there and jump in and, and do their thing. And I think that that's great. I think that because it doesn't limit somebody to say, oh, well, they have 13 books. You know, like Tasha just said, oh, i got to start back on yeah. book one, and that's a lot. No, you don't have to do that. And so I kind of like it that way. I think I think it's more when you're writing a trilogy that you say, no, you should read book one, two, three, and that way you have the whole story. Like, I'm not going to read Lord of the Rings and start with the two towers and go to Return of the King and then go to Fellowship of the Ring and I'm going to understand anything that's going on. So yeah, those no, stories, that, I that think, makes are different sense, yeah. than ongoing series. Yes, yeah, because, you, you know, like, and like I said, if you want to see the development, yes, but you can pick up any of the books and then you'll be fine. It, and it may be the book that you pick up, oh, it, it'll intrigue you to go back to see how they got to this point, which is, I hope, what right. will happen. But right. um, there, each of the books are standalone. 
Well, tell everybody, um, you've already told us that you got book five is going to be coming out next year. So tell yeah. everybody where the best place is to find out about you and, and all your social media and, and all that fun stuff. Okay, well, my website is daniellaburnett.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Goodreads. So um, everybody can uh, find out more about me and my books there. Um, if they want to send me a little note, there's an email on my uh, website. I'd be happy to hear from readers. And if you want to connect with me, I'll be happy to exchange ideas and views and anything else. Nice. And when, you, when people say that, and I've always – because there's so many social media things, and I've dabbled around Goodreads. When when people say they're on Goodreads, that's just like, is there a lot of dialogue and stuff that goes on in Goodreads, or is it just a bunch, or is it a lot of, this is what I'm reading, and this is how I review it sort of thing? Um, there is to a certain extent. It's not like Facebook. There is to a certain extent, oh, yes, I enjoyed it. It's more of like a book club type of thing, but it gets you, uh, writers and readers um, connected with one another. You know, you see similar what, what a writer or a reader likes. It's like, oh, maybe I like that. Um, but in terms of more interaction, it would be Facebook that it would be more interaction with um, gotcha. other people. Gotcha. Well, Daniela, we want to thank you again for coming on and talking about A Checkered Past, the fourth year now in your series. Congratulations on getting to book four. That's an accomplishment in all its own, I mean, and now you're in through book five, so that is uh, something to definitely pat yourself on the back because that's not an easy task. Thank you very much, and it's always a pleasure chatting with you, John. I always enjoy coming back here. We always take off in different tangents. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you're out at a conference, maybe we'll be able to meet one time. We're going to go to Thriller Fest next year, so if you happen to go to one of those conferences, sometimes we rear our heads. It depends on how close it is to L.A. Besides, Thriller Fest is the only one that, and, and PNWA that, you know, doesn't have any moving yeah. parts. Like BoucherCon and some Left Coast Crime, they kind of yeah. move around. So we try mm-hmm. to only go to those if they're kind of close to us. But Yeah, I'd touch, be delighted you know, to meet you one day in person. We'll be out there. So <laughs> okay. you have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. So, again, I mean, that is author Daniela Burnett, and Mike's go you go out and get the book. It's called A Checkered Past. It is the fourth in her Kirby Longdon series, um, so go check that out. We want to thank J.J. Hensley and Tasha Alexander for coming on the show and talking to us about their books. Please make sure you visit hensley-books.com and tashaalexander.com for more information on their and everything that they got going on. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, um, all of our – Shows are available um, uh, on demand and whatnot. We are now, I'm taking all of our shows and putting them on our website, so I'm working on that project as we go. If you go to our website, suspensemagazine.com, maybe you will start seeing. I'm starting to upload and put these things on, and I'm going to have them on more regularly and have them up there. So trying to, I mean, we're trying to get this all together and make it one nice, you know, package. But so I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to see. I know Story Blender is going to be coming back here in this week. And then when is my next show going to be? Beyond the Cover is going to not be until the 13th of November with John Land. And I will probably be back around November the 10th with our next show. We're going to have only a couple more shows before um, I end uh, for the year. We always try to take December off because it's, all the holidays, everybody need to you know be with their families, and there's always so much stuff going on though. So we just kind of take December off, and um, and then I know that we're going to be back with Andrew Grant in January. So make sure you check that out, and hopefully we have some uh, uh, surprises along the way. So you just never know. So until next time, thanks so much for listening, everybody. 
Again, keep reading. Enjoy. See you all real soon.